position adds the important leg to our chair illustration to resolve all contradictions and to post a marvelous and wonderful demonstrably appreciable position on the timing of our Lord's return. The pre-wrath position is in essence a synthetic view of the return of Christ. And by synthetic I mean it adopts those truths from the three historical positions on the Lord's return as far as timing. It takes those solidly biblical points and adds them all together with a slight refinement that I think harmonizes marvelously the text. By taking what is biblically sound from each of the other three positions, the pre-wrath position begins with the strong support already in place, as do all the rapture positions discussed, we uniformly believe that the saints will not experience the eschatological wrath of God, that wrath which is outlined in the book of Revelation in context with the consummation of the ages. Like those who hold to the mid-trib position, we see a distinction between the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist, which we call the wrath of man. Like the post-trib position, we believe that the wrath of God will be evidenced only after the persecution of Antichrist is, for all intent and purposes, finished are certainly greatly squelched. Therefore, like the post-tribbers, we believe the church will experience the direct persecution of Satan and his Antichrist during what is called the Great Tribulation, the time of unparalleled persecution of God's elect by Satan and his henchmen, the Antichrist. This is where the pre-wrath position adds the critical leg to our chair illustration. The Word of God teaches that Satan and his Antichrist persecution will be cut short. This particular promise is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. And the obvious question is how? How will the persecution of Satan and his Antichrist be cut short? By removing the object of the evil one's persecution, the church, to heaven and putting the remnant of Israel in protective custody. This with one refinement makes several things possible. It provides sufficient time for all of God's wrath to occur without manufacturing a way for the church to be present while that wrath rains down all around them. It provides the necessary time for the salvation of Zechariah's prophesied one-third remnant of, his, of Israel who will be the inhabitants 
of the Millennial Kingdom. It provides the time necessary for the salvation of a remnant of Gentiles from the nations who refuse to take the mark of Antichrist. And fourthly and finally, it provides the platform by which God alone is exalted in the earth once his wrath begins. Therefore, the pre-wrath position stands on solid legs. We believe a firm and solid seat of our chair illustration is the notion that the church's exemption from the wrath of God is clearly promised in Scripture. This is, unfortunately, the only aspect of pre-tribulationalism that has an explicit biblical basis. We also believe that one leg consists of a distinction between the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist, something mid-tribulationalism articulates rather well. One leg constitutes a distinction between the Great Tribulation, the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist, and the eschatological day of the Lord, which post-tribulationalism differentiates. And the last leg shows that the persecution by Antichrist will be cut short before the end of Daniel's 70th week, thus providing the interval between the rapture and Christ's coming at the Battle of Armageddon, during which time all of the trumpet and bold judgments will be played out, not as an accordion by squelching them all together and making them conclude at the same time, but allowing one trumpet to follow another and one bowl to follow another, if in close proximity, at least in a sequential order. The identification of the wrath of God with the eschatological day of the Lord is the key. I call it the eschatological day of the Lord because the Old Testament seems to indicate that there have been several days of the Lord. But there is going to be one day of the Lord, the ultimate or the mother of all days of the Lord, and it is located in the end times, that time when God will conclude human history as we know it and inaugurate a temporal kingdom, a thousand-year kingdom, the millennial kingdom on this earth. All sides agree that the eschatological day of the Lord involves both the final judgment of God and the deliverance of his saints. Doctors Craig A. Blazing and Darrell L. Bach, in reference to 1 Thessalonians, write, Deliverance in the day of the Lord is a special theme of 1 Thessalonians. At his return, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul teaches the church that the day of the Lord will not overtake you like a thief. In the context, this deliverance would seem to be 
the blessing of resurrection and translation into immortality, which Christ will grant his own at his coming, an event which is called the rapture. This deliverance or rapture will appear to coincide with the inception or coming of the day of the Lord, since that is the focus in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 through 4, close quote. I think Blazing and Bach correctly understand how the day of the Lord, the rapture, and the subsequent pouring out of God's wrath do in fact come together. This is a very important insight, one which I have not seen so clearly articulated by a pre-tribber until I read it from Blazing and Bach. Now, these men are probably uh, pre-tribbers. Both Blazing and Bach taught at Dallas Seminary during my time of study there. It was from Dr. Blazing that I studied eschatology. To my knowledge, both are pre-trib, yet they recognize the importance of the eschatological day of the Lord at the timing of the rapture. J. Dwight Pentecost writes in his book, Things to Come, the only way this day could break unexpectedly upon the world is to have it begin immediately after the rapture of the church. It is thus concluded that the day of the Lord is that day, extended period of time beginning with God dealing with Israel after the rapture at the beginning of the tribulation period and extending through the second advent and the millennial age until the creation of the new heavens and a new earth after the millennium. Close quote. Pentecost is obviously pre-tribulational. However, he too recognizes that the eschatological day of the Lord follows the rapture and in very close proximity. Now, we do not agree with his estimation that the eschatological day of the Lord is going to be more than a thousand years long. The timing issue can be settled if the beginning of the day of the Lord can be determined within the framework of end times events. The pre-wrath position acknowledges that the eschatological day of the Lord will be signaled by a sign given in the sun, moon, and stars, a sign distinctively described in the eschatological book of Joel in the Old Testament. Jesus indicates in the Olivet Discourse that his parousia will immediately follow the sign Joel prophesied, which marks the inception of the eschatological day of the Lord. Jesus also indicated in his revelation to John that Joel's sign in the sun, moon, and stars will be the sign that announces the day in which his wrath begins a sign given in the heavenlies that will be displayed at the breaking of the sixth seal.
Therefore, as one compares the six seals to the events outlined in the Olivet Discourse, one quickly sees that the rapture must occur after the 70th week of Daniel begins, after the midpoint of that same week has begun, and after Satan Antichrist's persecution of the church is cut short, when the sign of the eschatological day of the Lord and the parousia of Christ is given in the sun, moon, and stars. The exact day or hour when the sixth seal will be broken is not detailed in the scriptures. But when that happens, it will announce to all the world that the inception of the eschatological day of the Lord has in fact begun. During the timing component offered by the pre-wrath position, we believe it has incontrovertible biblical support. If you search the scriptures, we believe that it will demonstrate that our understanding of this issue clears up all of the contradictions and removes all of the issues that we believe divides the different rapture positions. The pre-wrath position takes the truths that we believe you can demonstrate in the scripture concerning the return of our Lord. The pre-trip position basically believes at its core that the church has been promised an evacuation off the earth before God's wrath begins. That is a biblical position that has explicit. You can turn to a book, chapter, and verse as the basis for that claim. The pre-wrath position also believes that scripture teaches that Satan is thrown out of heaven and will come down to earth having three and a half years left and he will pour out his wrath against God's elect. The elect as it relates to service in the nation of Israel and the elect as it relates to salvation, the church, he will attack and persecute and harm as much as God will allow. This we believe to be a solid and explicit position that you can turn to a book, chapter, and verse as a basis. We also believe that the Lord Jesus clearly articulates in Matthew chapter 24 that the great tribulation, that time of unparalleled persecution that the elect of God will experience on earth 
will be cut short. Now, it's important that you understand that the three and a half years is not cut short. What is cut short is the persecution of God's elect. Revelation chapter 12 indicates that a remnant of Israel will be put in protective custody. It also indicates that two witnesses or prophets will operate during this time period, in which case a number of Jews will be insulated from the voracious uh, voracious uh, attacks of Antichrist uh, under the tutelage of Satan uh, in and around Jerusalem during the time we call the Great Tribulation. And therefore, we believe that this is an explicit position, that you can find an explicit biblical basis for it, and therefore, it fits the context and explains clearly how God can cut short the time, but at the same time fulfill the word of God, which says that this period runs for three and a half years. Now, you need to understand that Satan has no desire to persecute Christians for three and a half years. He wants to kill all Christians and be done with it. He is not taking his time because he wants to. It is because God has set limits and he cannot go around them, under them, over them, or outside of them. God will allow the three and a half years to run its course, but in great mercy, great grace, he will cut the persecution short by delivering the righteous and beginning the outpouring of his wrath, a wrath that will be seen in the trumpets and ultimately the bold judgments. The pre-wrath position recognizes that the rapture must occur with sufficient time to allow for the salvation of Israel and the salvation of some Gentiles, both of whom are necessary to fulfill the biblical orders as it relates to a temporal kingdom, a millennial kingdom on the earth. You must have Jews and Gentiles in their physical bodies on the earth during the millennial kingdom. That's the only way you can have children born because those who are glorified no longer have the weaknesses of the flesh as it relates to to those matters. Therefore, my friend, the pre-wrath position is a solid, clearly articulated, very easily demonstrated position that harmonizes all the issues related to the time of our Lord's return. Now, to be fair, uh, we say that there are no contradictions in the pre-wrath position. And we believe that is the case. Now, the arguments against 
the pre-wrath position uh, exposes no contradictions, only those of uh, only those by people who really do not understand the position. We take the strength out of pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib and join them together, and we remove the error that divides those positions. We believe that it is biblical, that it is sound, and it has a clear basis uh, in the biblical text. But as I said, to be fair, the one issue that is probably most uh, difficult for people to grasp is this whole matter of cutting short uh, the persecution. Now, the scriptures say, uh, the scriptures say in Matthew that the Lord is going to cut short the persecution. The Lord Jesus says that if that time was not cut short, uh, no flesh would be um, deliverable. And in order for there to be some believers left on the earth to witness the Lord's descent at uh, Armageddon, God in his graciousness decided to cut or limit uh, Antichrist's uh, persecution uh, of his elect during this time period. Now, to say that he cut it short to three and a half years is to suggest that at some point it was longer in the mind of God. This, uh, there is no biblical basis for such a notion. The 70th week of Daniel was always seven years divided by three and a half and three and a half. There is no indication in scripture anywhere that the time was ever longer than that. And therefore, if Jesus says it's going to be cut short, it has to be shorter than three and a half years, or the text makes no sense. Therefore, God is going to cut short the persecution, and he will do it by removing the object of Satan's anger and wrath, his elect, but allowing Satan to have his three and a half years, which will culminate ultimately with God reclaiming this earth pouring out the bold judgments, ultimately drawing Satan and his henchmen down to fight where they will be destroyed, cast into the lake of fire, and Jesus Christ will rule on this earth in a temporal kingdom, a thousand-year kingdom uh, that God has promised. The beauty, the simplicity, and the ease which, with which one can demonstrate this position, to me, argues strongly that it has good, solid, biblical support. You don't have to twist the scriptures. You don't have to set up uh, all kinds of presuppositions. You don't have to try to get people to accept certain notions prior to understanding what you're going to teach. All one need do is read the text at face value, accept what it says, and in light of that, build or concoct or hold or bring together uh, the text in this marvelous 
Marvelous. Oh,